Blog Talk Radio. Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Fatman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, 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 what's cracking, peeps? And welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your host, Darren McDuffie. And tonight, we're going to have another great show for you. Got to pick my energy up a little bit, guys. Um, not sure if you know it or not, but I just got back from attending my uncle's funeral, and I'm not a big believer in death. I believe that, you know, our soul goes on and that we are eternal beings, And but one thing I can say is that the traveling, I've traveled by train, which was a really um, good ride uh, with the train, but um, one issue came up where the train was a little delayed on my way going there, but it just so happened on my way coming back down to Fort Lauderdale, where I live. The train was actually um, on time. I actually got back here uh, early. But I can tell you a lot, just being able to see my friends and being able to see my family um, was a, a blessing. And I got a chance to see everybody, but just having to see them surrounding a funeral, that's always like a, a crazy thing. But like I said, I paid my respects to my uncle and uh, he lived a great life, a, a bountiful life, has a lot of kids, a lot of I was around, so I kind of looked up to my uncles. I have two uncles, and they kind of taught me a lot about a lot of different things. So, again, got some chance to uh, spend some time with the family and everything is all good. Tonight, we're going to have a show for you with uh, talking about raw milk, which is something um, I wanted to talk about for a while. And I'm not a big consumer of milk itself. I just don't think that it's something that I would, you know, put in my diet. And But on, on occasion, when I did try raw milk, I noticed one thing that that raw milk did not have or did not give me the reactions of the milk that was homogenized or pasteurized. And tonight uh, we'll be talking about that. But before we get into speaking about that, just wanted to let you know that I've been working on the new website and the website is coming along. I just got all the blog posts transferred over to the new site um, that I'm working on. This next Friday, I'll be taking pictures for the site and wanted to get some new pictures. And then I'll also start uploading all the podcasts from day one. I believe I started the podcast in 2013. And in 2013, I had have accumulated since 2013. So to 2016, almost over a hundred and something odd podcasts. So I'll be uploading all those into the podcast. Hopefully we'll be having a store as well. And everything should be uh, going good. So I'm waiting for Mark McAfee to actually call in. Not sure what's going on, but um, we were able to uh, confirm the show. And I'm not sure why he's not calling in. But um, hold on for me one second here. 
Okay, so I'm just confirming that I gave him the right number, so I'm not sure what's going on. It's about four minutes late, so I'm going to go ahead and give it a little bit of time and uh, and see what's going on <coughs> with him. So hold on for me real quick. All right, so I'm back. <laughs> just going to keep talking. I just sent Mark an email. I know that we confirmed this on Monday, and he said he was going to call in at 8 p.m. So hopefully everything is all right. Not sure if something came up at the last minute with Mark. But, again, we'll hang on the air for a few minutes. And, again, I'll just start talking about the website. So the website is getting there. Um, I wanted to really showcase the podcast on the website this time. So the podcast will be the main center of the new website. And the new website is called Perfectly Healthy and Tone. You can't see it right now because I actually have it blocked out. But like I said, I'm getting everything done within the parameters of taking a blog. If you've been to my new, my old blog on the fatman.com, I'll be taking a blog post from there over to the new site and that's already done and i haven't really written anything on the new on the new blogs just simply because i'm actually in the process of again switching everything over to the new site and honestly to tell you the truth i haven't been really inspired to write but i as of late once everything gets over and transferred over to the new site i'm pretty sure i'll be inspired matter of fact i've been inspired with a couple of different things that i want to uh have uh, represented on the site and I'll be blending a lot of the consciousness and also a lot of the health stuff because I believe that all that stuff is kind of intertwined mind, body, and spirit and you have to pay attention to your mind if you're going to have a good body and all that again goes into your spirit. So my website, a new site will be all about health and consciousness and I'll be kind of stepping out on the edge so to speak to speak up on some things that people may not be that aware of and I know that if you've been listening to the show for any amount of time you probably know that I kind of veer off into different subjects and talk a little bit more about emotions more so than other health podcasters or people who have health radio shows because that's the path that I'm seeking or a path that I'm going down. And I believe that that's where our medicine is going in the future. It'll be more energy medicine. I'm not saying that we're going to suddenly not be wanting uh, pharmaceutical drugs or anything of that nature, but I think the medicine of the future will go more into seeing what emotions we are dealing with. I've always said that What's bothering you is what's ailing you. <clears throat> and my approach to that will be on the new site of really blending the whole consciousness and the health aspect so where you can get the full spectrum, full holistic spectrum of what you're looking for when it comes to health. So I'm not sure what Mark is going what's going on with Mark. Like I said, we confirmed the show. He sent me an email back. Maybe something came up. Uh, on his end, and uh, I didn't hear from him today, so really not exactly sure what's happening, but um, hold on one second. I'm going to give him a call.
All right, so I just called Mark. He got stuck in a meeting. So what I'll do with this show is probably um, once it gets going, we'll end up uh, editing the show out a little bit and um, taking that dead air about or taking me rambling out of the show as well. But we're going to get it done. Like I said, we had confirmed, and uh, Mark said he was had gotten stuck in a meeting. So waiting on him to call in, and as soon as we get him called in, we'll get rolling here. So. Bear with me, and again, we'll we'll get rolling. So, stuff like this happens. It's live radio. Sometimes I wish, um, and I, I'll probably be going to this format as well as being able to um, just record for Skype and upload it. My original plan was to develop an audience and people call in and ask their questions, but I think the podcast has gotten has gotten beyond that now. And so, what I'm going to probably start doing in the future is just recording via Skype and then uploading the shows so people can listen to them. And sometimes there's a lot better sound quality as well. But um, I think I see Mark in the switchboard. So uh, without further ado, let me bring on Mark McAfee. Mark, welcome hey, to hey. Health and Tone Radio. How are you, man? I am 10 minutes late, but I'm sorry I got stuck in a meeting here. And I'm glad you called me because people are bidding my ear. <laughs> <laughs> No problem, man. I was like, I know we confirm, and I, sometimes, you know, something happens, and people end up, uh, something happens at the last minute. I've had that happen to me before as well, so I thought, well, man, maybe something happened at the last minute, and no, I was no. hoping we're, off of the best. We're all good. We are totally all good. I just, the, the clock got away from me. Anyway. Yeah, no problem. So, um, you have a unique background, and one of the things I always ask before I begin any podcast is to ask for people to share their background. And I was I, really surprised that your background, you're not just a guy who's running around chasing cows all day, so to speak. No. So sh- yeah, share, your, share your background with us. Well, I grew up on a farm and a dairy when I was a child. My dad was a, kind of an interesting guy. He spent a lot of time around the world giving advice on building creameries and dairies and things like that. Spent some time in Israel when I was a kid. Um, grew up on the farms, was a commercial welder, first job out of high school, got my pilot's license real young, and when I was a, a teenager, got my pilot's license. My dad was a pilot, flew around a little bit. Um, I was working in a mine when I was 20 years old, actually 19 years old, right out of high school. I saw a guy almost get killed, a uh, big old thing hit him in the head. The helicopter flew in to pick him up, and I was really impressed with the paramedics that picked him up. So I went to paramedic school and became a certified paramedic, then taught medical education for the health department for many years. That was what uh, brought me kind of in the medical sphere for, you know, 15 years I was a certified paramedic and did all that stuff. And then my grandparents passed away and uh, left a 1,000 acres to my brothers and I, and they didn't want to farm. And that's what brought me into uh, farming organically because I could, I could see myself uh, retiring from paramedic medicine after all those, those calls and seeing the human struggle. Yeah. Yeah, it's similar <laughs> to I was kind of uh... – really uh enlightened by your story because we kind of share similar stories um i went into firefighting for a while and down here in florida where i am there you in go. order to you can be a firefighter and then a paramedic but it just so oh, happened that I, yeah but i didn't do that it just so happened that <laughs> something something actually happened and um, i didn't finish school so i just went off to a totally a totally different way but it all works out in the end um Many, many years ago, I heard you on another show. And uh, at that point in time, I was just learning myself. I come from the pharmaceutical industry, and I was just learning myself. And I was kind of dabbing in everything I could get my hands on, reading everything about nutrition, and really 
trying to enlighten myself. And I remember the first time I heard the term raw milk. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what raw meant. So explain to the audience what raw milk actually means. Well, uh, as a quick reference, uh, breast milk is raw milk. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's unprocessed straight from the animal, straight from the mom, straight from the cow. So raw milk is a completely unprocessed, biodiverse. It has all kinds of beneficial, wonderful bacteria in it. It has all of its enzymes in it. The proteins are there, undenatured in natural form, and all the fats are there, just like Mother Nature intended it to be. It's the first food of life. Babies drink raw milk because it's easy to digest. It breaks down immediately. Um, It's got all the building blocks of life to build an immune system and to nourish the baby, whatever mammal baby that might be. So raw milk is unprocessed, whole, natural food. That's what it is. Pasteurized milk, on the other hand, is highly processed. And very shelf-life friendly, but not very gut-life friendly. That's why you see it as the most allergenic food in America. At the FDA, FDA website, you can see that pasteurized milk is number one most allergenic food in America. The heating and processing of the milk makes it very allergenic. All the, de- all the living things are killed, and those dead parts uh, trigger a lot of allergens in our you know, mast cell degradation, hist- histamine release, all that kind of stuff. Um, the fats aren't particularly good because the way they feed the cows, these big CAFO operations, the proteins, there's 2,200 different kinds of proteins found in, in raw milk, and they're all denatured. And uh, the enzymes are inactivated. So, you know, it's pretty tough for a baby that doesn't have a developed digestive tract to try to, di- try to digest something, um, a lot of lactose intolerance associated with processed milk uh, that is so processed. It's not raw anymore. Babies need raw milk. That's why breast is best. That's kind of a short story on raw milk. Yeah. So um, I'm African-American, and uh, I remember at the age of 25, something, something suddenly happened to me. I wasn't able to digest milk anymore, and mm-hmm. I believed that for a long time. And mm-hmm. then I discovered raw milk, and I drank the raw milk, and that whole time I was drinking the raw milk, I was expecting to have some type <laughs> of reaction, and that reaction never came. Why You're is right. it that? Raw milk is so much more tolerable than the pasteurized or homogenized uh, milk. Well, let, let me start out by, t- by saying this. I have a very uh, good friend of mine. His name is uh, Kameli, and he has a master's degree in Stanford University. He's a Maasai warrior from Kenya. And um, as a black man, he came to America um, right out of, you know, he was 18 years old as a Kenyan uh, Maasai warrior. And he was used to drinking milk directly out of the udder. I mean, udder direct or into a gourd, one or the other. And he thrived on raw milk. He was actually orphaned as a child, and without raw milk, he would have died. So he made his his way in life by literally shepherding cows for people and taking care of cows for people and drinking milk directly from the cow. Never had a problem with raw milk. It was perfectly fine. It was great. Um, And raw milk is is drank by the Maasai in Kenya. It's their their go-to food. Um, He came to America. He started drinking pasteurized milk he started drinking soy milk and everything but milk and within seven eight years by the time he was uh, in his late 20s and uh, at stanford university uh he had himself a hell of a case of crohn's disease and he he just his gut was on fire and, and in fact that the the, the uh, stanford surgeons were going to take 12 feet of his intestines out and he thought for a while he thought you know what this milk i'm drinking in america is making me really sick um, and he and I got together because of a, a mutual friend we had in Hollywood and started drinking raw milk. Within six months, he didn't have any more Crohn's at all. His inflammation was gone, and he was back to eating in Kenya but living in America. <laughs> uh, 
And the bottom line is this. Raw milk has within it, it's a whole food, has within it lactose. So does pasteurized milk, but it has lactose. But it also has a lactobacillus bacteria that create the lactase enzyme. So that lactobacillus bacteria is part of the whole genome of the milk. Um, when you drink the milk, creates the lactase enzyme, creating lactic acid. It all breaks down, easily digestible by most everybody. It's a universal food for most all humans. So it's not that 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 you had a problem with with the milk, is you had a problem with the pasteurization of the milk. Your body had no problem at all with raw milk. Um, you know, your your body may not have created or had enough of the lactobacillus bacteria left in your gut to digest a milk without you know that was pasteurized. But when you got raw milk, it had that there. So a whole food includes the bacteria, the enzymes, the proteins, everything along with the food, not just the prote- the, uh, the the sugars, the proteins. Um, that's that's the reason why uh, your body needed the lactobacillus bacteria missing in pasteurized dairy products. Raw milk had that bacteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always yep. wondered when it seems like it was just a great mystery why I could drink raw milk and not have any of those digestive issues, whereas if yep. I went and got some off the shelf at the store, it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, you know um, what? The same, this, the same thing happened to those that are Asian. Um, you know, the Chinese... Uh, outer Mongolia, they drink a lot of raw milk, and they have a lot of problems with lactose intolerance in China, but the Mongolians were very Chinese, have no problem at all with their raw milk. So literally around the world, we see examples of people, I don't care what color you are, what background you have, universally, raw milk can be digested, even the American Indian. So it's very interesting that raw milk is a universal food for all people versus pasteurized milk. Uh, there's, There's fewer and fewer people that can drink it now. Even Northern Europeans have a hard time drinking it. Yeah, I've I've done some research on it. It seems like African Americans and here in South Florida we have a high a Jewish population. It seems like Jewish people have uh, problems with not raw milk, but with the pasteurized milk um, as well. You Correct. talked a little bit about histamines, and one of the things that uh, I've been in food sensitivity testing, and I've seen a lot of tests come up where people were sensitive to milk and cheese. It it just it just seems like it was always coming up when I was working in that field. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if those histamines, and I used to tell people who had asthma or anything respiratory related like bronchitis to stay away from milk. Are those histamines more likely to react to people because of the pasteurization and the homogenization versus the raw milk? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, there's huge studies done in Europe, the Parsifal study, the Gabriella study, the Koala study, a Pasteur study. There's a whole handful of big uh, studies done in Europe. Uh, Dr. Um, von Muschus, Erika von Muschus, did a bunch of this and was in Basel, Switzerland, studying t- tens of thousands of kids across Europe that drink raw milk versus drink pasteurized milk. And they found that uh, the whey protein, they believe it's the whey protein, the W-H-E-Y protein, uh, in raw form, which actually stabilizes mast cells. It's the M-A-S-T cells, which is part of the connective tissue of the body. Mast cells release histamines, which go and inflame the body, cause a reaction in the body, when uh, foreign proteins are in the body that aren't supposed to be there. And uh, pasteurized dairy products are actually an anomaly uh, when you look at the nature, because if you have a uh, a milk, uh, uh, you know, a mil- you have milk. It has bacteria in it. It also has protein. It has all kinds of stuff. All the building blocks of life. But if you superheat it to 170, 180 degrees, those proteins are denatured. 
the way protein is oxidized, there's all kinds of things that happen with the bacteria. They're killed. They're no longer a sphere that holds the nucleus and all the wonderful infrastructure, infrastructure in the cell. They're broken apart now. Now you have pieces of cells, no longer an identifiable cell. And those, all those things, those dead pieces, trigger mast cells to release histamines, which causes all kinds of mucus response. Uh, and that's on top of a digestibility problem, which is all about lactose, sugars, and uh, creating hydrogen. Um, that's why it's called the hydrogen breath test to detect uh, lacto, um, lactose intolerance. So there's all kinds of problems with pasteurized milk. You have the allergenistic, allergenicity of it, the fact that it's allergenic with histamines and so on and so forth and causing reactions. And you also have the digestibility issue of the fact that lactose is hard to digest unless you have the lactase enzyme. And many, many people are missing that, especially if you've had a bunch of antibiotics in your life and you've been eating a lot of, of American diet, which has uh, preservatives in it. And preservatives kill off bacteria. That's what preservatives do in food is kill bacteria and keep it from growing. So the American diet is a very anti-digestive or anti-lactose um, uh, digestion kind of diet. Um, and that's why you have more and more people that are swearing off dairy products, not only for the allergenic side, but also the digestibility side. And doctors generally say, hey, stay away from dairy products. They don't understand the difference between raw dairy products versus pasteurized dairy products. Out here in California, we've got 85,000 people a week drinking our raw milk from 650 stores, and every one of them has the same story. My kids love raw milk. It's delicious. They don't have allergen, uh, allergenic problems. Very digestible. The lactose intolerant people in the family no longer have that problem. They love raw milk. Strong bones, strong immune systems, uh, and no allergies, and very, very good for asthma. So, you know, the truth is the truth. Unfortunately, the dairy industry hasn't figured that out and, and uh, amended their ways. They're stuck in the pasteurization principles of the 1880s, literally 120 years ago, and can't get themselves out of the rut. Yeah, last night I was on Facebook Live and I did a, a video on uh, impractical ways to boost your immune system. And one uh, of the things that I talked about was embracing germs. And it seems like yes. we've become <laughs> really, really, really germ phobic. And I know in raw milk, there's pathogens. But what we're finding out is that some of these pathogens we need to live. Uh, talk about pasteurization and the pathogens that are in there versus raw milk pathogens. And are we doing ourselves a disservice by trying to avoid everything? Because when people think about raw milk, obviously they think about, oh, my God, this has a bunch of germs in it. I don't want to drink it. Because I remember my first sip of raw milk because of the things that I had watched and saw, I thought that, once I take this one sip, it might be over. I need to make my yeah. make my will, well, will out before I sip it. Let's start by separating bacteria from pathogens. Yeah. Pathogens are disease-causing organisms, and we test our milk all the time. We test four times a day for pathogens, and we don't find them. We find them maybe once or twice a year, and those lots that have a pathogen never get sold to the public. So it's very, very rare that you're going to have a disease-causing organism found in a, a milk from a cow that's healthy and that's cleaned, uh, the udder's clean and dry and it milked well. Very, very, very rare. It can happen, but it's extremely rare. Uh, what you find more often is that there's a bacteria, uh, a very biodiverse yogurt-like bacteria that's beneficial to you. Now, you have to remember that breast milk, uh, UC Davis did a big study on this here in California a couple years ago, and found that there are 700 different kinds of bacteria found in breast milk commonly. And some of those are pathogenic. And you're exactly right that children need to have good bugs and occasionally just a little bit of bad bugs because if they don't, their immune systems won't develop. 
that's when you get, you know, your vaccinations. I'm not a big pro-vaccination guy, but that's why, uh, you know, vaccinations work is because they expose you to attenuated or dead bacteria or viruses that trigger your body to resist those things and build antibodies. Well, the same thing happens with raw milk because if you're exposed to very, very low um, stresses, very, very low loads of these bad bacteria um, once in a while, you will build immunity to them and it will make you sick. We don't want bad bug, bad bugs in our food in America because it, it makes people sick and they go through that whole immune system antibody creation thing, which can be uncomfortable. But that's how we build natural immunities. And people that drink raw milk, they embrace the biodiversity of these beneficial bacteria like yogurt in their milk, and uh, they get a really strong immune system. And uh, you know, it's interesting that when a bad bug does come their way, wherever it comes from, you've got to remember that, that cantaloupe just killed 34 people a couple years ago cantaloupe you know poor innocent cantaloupe killed a bunch of people they killed people that had depressed immune systems so one of the most dangerous things we can do in our culture is to have a stripped down immune system without the biodiversity of fighting soldiers in our gut to protect us and raw milk raw kefir all the raw cheeses all those kinds of things bring on that wonderful milieu that background that wonderful environment in our gut that will protect us from invading pathogens and keep the counts, the really good bacteria high levels and the bad bacteria at very minority low levels so they don't dominate our gut. We get in real deep trouble like uh, C. diff, Clostridium difficile, when we don't have any good bacteria in our gut and all we have is bad. Uh, that, that kills 20,000 people a year right now in the ICUs of America and the hospitals. What's the treatment for that? Kefir, fecal transplants, getting the good bacteria back into your gut and feeding that bacteria. So you're absolutely right. Good bacteria should be embraced, and we need to keep high levels of them in our diet. And bad bacteria, yeah, stay away from them. But we have some in our bodies, and they serve a purpose. They keep our immune system functioning properly. Yeah. Um, how often do conditions, environmental conditions, and, of course, you know, in people don't know that milk is produced. They have these farms, and the cows, are their udders are pumped, and it goes into these vats. How often is those conditions, production or environmental conditions, play a role in, in, in pathogens? Very, very much. Um, the conditions the cows are kept in, the diet, how the cow is milked, what's in her manure, has everything to do with the safety of the raw milk and whether there's going to be a human pathogen present or not. We have to remember this. There are two kinds of raw milk in America generally. There's raw milk intended for people and raw milk intended for the pasteurizer, and they are, they are completely, completely different from each other. Here in California and Pennsylvania and California and Washington State, in Arizona, New Mexico, Maine, Connecticut, and those places where raw milk is legal to sell, there are tight standards for that raw milk, and you're not allowed to have pathogens in the milk. And so the farmers work very, very careful to make sure that the milk is cleanly collected and stored cold and tested and that the bacteria counts are generally very low, which gives it a nice long shelf life, and nobody gets sick. Everybody's really happy with that raw milk. But if you go to the milk that's intended for pasteurization, oh, my God, brace yourself. That milk comes from 50 different dairies, all dumped in one tank, taken to a centralized creamery, and the bacteria counts can be through the roof. We're talking 750 milliliter of uh, coliforms per milliliter versus 10 for the raw milk. And all the uh, number of pathogens you can ever count because they don't ever test for pathogens. Pathogens are not considered a, con a contaminate in pre-pasteurized milk. So you can have E. coli, you can have salmonella, you can have anything you want in milk that goes intended to be pasteurized because the cooking process has got to kill it. So very, very sloppy, very, very, well, I'll just use the word, very dirty uh, processes, uh, processes are used 
to create milk that's going to be pasteurized. Well, raw milk, you have to be very, very clean. And generally, people embrace pastures, sunshine, uh, clean milking practices, very uh, sanitary milking conditions, testing protocols. Um, it's a whole different food and, because we have to uh, you know, make sure that the milk that people drink will not make them sick. Yeah, I wanted to drill down a little bit more closely into what you were saying because this actually surprised me when I started to, to get into nutrition and, 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 and do a lot of things you know, years back. But one of the things that I was startled by was there are always acceptable levels. Like with peanuts, there are acceptable level aflatoxins in peanuts. Right. Um, It's milk the same way. There's an acceptable level of pathogens or bacteria in the milk. And I think you did say yes. But what is that acceptable level? And is it different for commercial milk versus raw milk? Completely different. Uh, the acceptable levels of coliforms, which are sanitary indicator bacteria, that they are not bad bacteria. In fact, they're all over us all the time. Coliforms, you can have uh, up to 10 or even 20 or 50 coliforms per milliliter in legally sold raw milk in America. You can have 1,000 in there because they don't cause illness. They just shorten the shelf life of the milk. They don't cause illness at all. But pathogens like salmonella, listeria, E. coli, campylobacter, those pathogens are not permitted in raw milk, and they test specifically for those bacteria. Um, they are naturally occurring bacteria, but they're not supposed to be in raw milk, and rarely are they in raw milk. Uh, they can be there if you, if you don't do a good job of milking the cows. So, uh, you know, the bottom line is the uh, regulatory agencies have made the standards such that pathogens are not permitted at any levels in raw milk or pasteurized milk pasteurization process generally removes them because it kills them. Uh, the raw milk process, they aren't there because you avoid them and you protect yourself because you do everything cleanly. So uh, the, the coliform levels permitted in pasteurized milk are less than 10 uh, in pasteurized milk, and in, uh, uh, they're less than 10 in raw milk in California. But all the other bacteria are completely alive and well and unchanged. So in pasteurized milk, they're all dead, completely decimated. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the, the good thing about raw milk is that everything is in there, the enzymes and everything is in there. And I guess the other side of this question, because it was a great segue into that, was one of the things that I noticed when I first tried raw milk, because uh, I bought some and I put it in the refrigerator. <laughs> and within, I would say, three to four days, I noticed that it was kind of going sour. Yep. And just the other day, where, I was in the store where did you buy that? Um, there was a place here that I used to buy a lot of our stuff for. It just it went out of business, but it was a long, yep. long, long time yep. ago. But on the flip side of that, I remember going to the store just the other day, and because I was interviewing you, I wanted to look at some of the milk that was in there. So I, you know, went over, looked at it in the in the case, and I noticed that some of them said September 27th, and it's only September 14th. So why yeah. is it that? <laughs> why is it that? So you're you're in Florida, correct? Yeah, I'm in Florida. You're in Florida. Yes. Yeah, you're buying pet milk, aren't you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that's an unregulated product, and the bacteria counts uh, they could be all over the place. Here's the deal: um, when you have a three or four day shelf life on raw milk, you've got very high bacteria counts, and they probably didn't do a particularly jo- good job of one or two things. One, they didn't do a good job of cleaning things. Number two, they probably didn't do a very good job of keeping it cold. Bacteria doubles its bacteria count at body temperature every 22 minutes. 
So you're going to have yogurt pretty quick if you don't keep it cold and you don't start out clean. Now, when you've got um, you know, raw milk out in California, it has an easy two-and-a-half-week shelf life without a problem at all, and it's fresh all the way through because it's kept really cold, and the bacteria counts are very low to start. Those wonderful bacteria grow, but they grow slowly because it's kept cold. Can I call you back on a, the same line just a second? I've got to move from this office to another one. Can I call you back right this second? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, I'm calling you right now on the same line. Okay. Okay, guys, just hold on for me one one second here until he calls back in. Back with you, buddy. Yep. I'm back with yep. you. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> we're back together. Not a problem. Yeah, we were talking about the uh, the raw milk and why it, it tends to spoil uh, so quickly. But it's raw. So what extent does that pasteurization process extend the shelf life of the, the milk that's a commercial milk? Yes, it does extends it extensively. That's probably one of the greatest benefits of pasteurization is the fact that you get such a long shelf life. Uh, remember, um, it's, it's basically dead. There's nothing in there to grow. Uh, when you kill all the bacteria, then it's just going to sit there uh, on the shelf. It's not going to de-evolve. It's not going to uh, – the lactobacillus bacteria isn't going to have a chance to make lactic acid and acidify the product. So – you know, there's an old saying, you know, pasteurization is great for shelf life, but not very good for gut life. Um, the gut is not a shelf. <laughs> it needs something that breaks down very quickly. Uh, if you have something that's good for shelf life, um, it, it tends not to be so good for gut life. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the processes that you use, because um, I'm not a big person on fear and scaring people. Um, I'm more of a person who is interested in getting the information out there and letting people make the decision for themselves. But one of the things I've seen, and it, it goes all around Facebook, is a documentary on milk and how cows are treated. And I remember that documentary, they talked about pus being in the milk. How does that occur in commercial milk? And what do you do with your process that kind of alleviates that and makes right. it safer? Well. Well, what you've got is pus is kind of a general term for mucus. And yes. um, that, that came from the idea that when you've got a cow that is on a dairy that has mastitis, which is an inflammation in her udder, which is basically an infection, um, the standards are so low on these big dairies that they allow all the milk that's in the cows, even the ones with some infection udder, gets dumped in the milk because it's going to be filtered and it's going to be processed. And uh, that milk will no longer have a problem because they're going to heat, heat it. They're going to homogenize it. They're going to do all kinds of crazy stuff to it to render it safe. Now, in our dairy, we screen all of our cows for any mastitis problems by doing a somatic cell count. And the somatic cell counts have to be very, very low. We run an average of 60,000. Um, the dairy industry runs at 600,000. So we're one-tenth uh, that the dairy industry has. And so as a result, the milk is absolutely delicious, very, very pure. The, the, the mucus that would be, uh, you know, in, in the milk because all the cows are totally healthy. Now, I would go on one step farther to say that people say, oh, there's mucus in the milk because if you look at the bottle, the of a bottle, especially on the UHT, the ultra-high temperature pasteurized products, oftentimes they have a, um, a psychotrophic. It's a, it's a cold-loving bacteria that grows in that milk. And you'll see some, some kind of some mucus at the bottom of that, that milk. 
That's not mucus from the cow. That's actually bacteria that's grown in the milk. It's cold-loving during the process of being stored on a shelf. So there's a lot of, I don't know, kind of rumor and misinformation out in the, uh, the public uh, just based on ignorance and not knowing what they're seeing or what they're tasting. Um, and a lot of people have experience with pasteurized milk where the mucus, uh, they have a mucus or phlegm response, and they think, oh, it, it's very congestion. Uh, it causes a lot of congestion. And that's because the, the histamines are being released and the mast cells are degrading, and you've got this allergic response. So there's a lot of misinformation out there, but one thing I could say is the people that drink raw milk are over-the-top, overjoyed, excited, and have strong teeth, strong bones, strong immune systems, um, kids that sleep well at night, the digestive tract works well, it's delicious. Um, you know, what can I say? People just rave about raw milk. Yeah, is that ultra-pasteurization similar to flash pasteurization? Because I've seen uh, here they sell goat, goat milk in the, um, in the store. But I remember seeing right. on that that it says flash pasteurized. Is that are there two different things we're talking about, or the same thing? So, flash pasteurized is really not it's not described in law. It's more of a branding thing than it is, actually is a legal thing. What they're talking about is something called HTST, which is high temperature, short time, and that's basically 165 to 175 degrees for 15 to 20 seconds. So it's a very short period of time where the milk is exposed to high temperature. And it kills off most of the disease-causing organisms. Um, now, what I'm talking about at UHT is ultra-high temperature pasteurization, which is 282 degrees for two to five or two to seven seconds of time, which actually almost sterilizes the food. It's not sterilized, but it's almost sterilized where there's virtually nothing that grows, uh, and it's pretty much shelf life. Yeah. Um I mentioned coming from the pharmaceutical industry, and I remember uh, just speaking with a doctor. This was years and years ago, and uh, I didn't know anything about using antibiotics in animals. Even though I sold antibiotics, <laughs> that was my primary product line. <laughs> I had no right, idea right. until he sat me down, and we had a really detailed discussion about antibiotic resistance. Uh, my question to you is, you have these big farm factory farms where they're constantly milking cows. Does that increase the likelihood of bacteria and pathogens and having to use antibiotics, the more cows that you have in, in a particular area? Sure. Well, for many, many years, many dairies, not all dairies, but many dairies would use antibiotics in their feed, especially to build, um, to make the cows fat for, for, uh, for beef operations. But they also found that it was easier uh, to manage cows just by putting antibiotics in the feed of their cow. But that was made illegal a few years back, and now you can't have antibiotics in, in the cow um, because if you do, it'll come up in the cow milk, and that milk has to be dumped. There's actually an antibiotic residual test that's done. Um, it's called a SNAP test or a charm test to make sure that there's no antibiotics in the milk. Um, they do have a way to cheat around that. They use another kind of antibiotic, which doesn't come up in the test. So there is a way to, che uh, to cheat using a different form of antibiotic. But you're absolutely right. Um, the majority of antibiotics in America are not fed to humans. They're fed to cows and animals and chickens um, and, you know, the beef in the, the pork industry and so on and so forth. It makes um, the uh, animals gain a lot of weight. In fact, if you look at the obesity, uh, you know, uh, crisis we have in America, some of that, not all of it, but some of it could be blamed on overuse of antibiotics because it screws up the gut flora and screws up your metabolic rate, and you no longer burn, burn fats and sugar the way you're supposed to, and it tends to um, create a fat reserve 
and you get uh, obese as a result. And the same, the model comes from the from the beef industry where they give antibiotics to beef animals because they fatten so quickly. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, how long can a cow be milked before it or uh, can it be? Of, that, yeah, that's based on the conditions that the cow is in. If she's taken care of. She can go easily mm-hmm. 10, 12, 15 years. Yeah. If she's not, then she'll last about three or four years and she's gone. Mm-hmm. When it comes to feeding the cows, um, what I've noticed um, with grass-fed beef, that the beef has a much richer taste. It tastes so much better. I tell anybody to taste some commercial beef and then go and taste some grass-fed beef. The difference is in night and day. Uh, I'm not a yeah. big milk, milk drinker at this point, but... Um, I imagine that you're feeding your cows grass. Is that milk going to taste better than the commercial milk where they're obviously feeding feeding grains to the to the animals? The majority of the milk flavor has to do with how clean you milk the cow and how uh, sanitary you milk the cow and how you chill the milk. Most of that flavor comes from the bacteria in the milk. Uh, however, there is a, um, an, a, a part of the flavor which is has to do with what you feed the cow. If you feed the cow a lot of garlic, the milk will taste like garlic. There's a lot of flavors that come through in the in the milk. Um, we have a pr- prim- primary diet of pastures here at Organic Pastures Dairy here in California, and that increases the CLA, the conjugated linoleic acid, as well as the omega-3 fatty acid ratios, and does a nice job of, of really making sure that cow produces a lot of has a lot of vitamin D in the milk as well because of the sunshine uh, factor. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The CAFO operation, um, they feed distillers grains, which is really not so good for the cow's gut at all. And a lot of grain, which changes the fat profile. And uh, sometimes they feed all kinds of other things like, uh, oh, waste byproducts from uh, commercial operations, uh, peaches, uh, you know, shredded uh, carrots, God knows what. What do they get for cheap? Because remember, the dairy community out there that sends their milk off to be pasteurized doesn't have to answer to the community of consumers at all. And they just get away with whatever they can feed the cows to make cheap milk. I respond directly to my consumers. And if I do something weird to my cow, they start complaining about the flavor. And uh, I lose my market. And so we have to be very cautious. So a lot of good grass, uh, organic alfalfa. And uh, mm-hmm. what do you know? You have delicious uh, milk and people love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was uh, just doing some research before the interview. And I noticed that you put the organic seal on your, your milk. Your It says organic raw milk um why not just raw milk okay you have to repeat your question i missed it go ahead and say it again yeah i noticed that when i was doing some research on the interview that um you on the on your seal on your milk you have organic raw milk why not just raw milk well we're certified organic by the usda which means that all of our practices meet the usda standards for organic which means no antibiotics no gmo no um uh, synthetic chemicals, no herbicides, pesticides, anything. And we're inspected and a designated certifier. <clears throat> now, you'll find that there's very few certified organic producers in the United States. Most of the producers of raw milk, I'm sorry, there's a lot of certified organic producers, but very few that produce raw milk for human consumption. Uh, most of the local dairies that you find that sell raw milk, just sell it direct and use natural practices. Uh, but are not certified organic. And we are certified organic is one of the things here in California that people want. Yeah. Does that justify the cost? Because a lot of times what will happen, even with organic, you hear people talk about the cost. Well, you know, I'm unable to eat organic because it costs more than the conventional stuff. 
with raw milk, especially your type of raw milk, the organic raw milk, um, I guess the question is how do you justify the cost? Well, our price point is literally, uh, you know, we're at $18 a gallon in California, and we sell out every week in every store. So mm-hmm. it's not cheap. It's very expensive. But uh, let's, let's remember something about price points. In 1969, um, conventional milk was selling for $10 per hundredweight, which is about 90 cents a gallon. 100 pounds of milk is 11 gallons of milk, so 90 cents a gallon. And a Ford truck costs you about 3900 bucks. okay? Well, now... <laughs> They're getting about a, a buck thirty a gallon, which is fourteen dollars a hundred weight, and they get they need uh, uh, you know they need about um, twenty dollars a hundred weight, eighteen to twenty dollars a hundred weight to break even, and only get thirteen to fourteen. And a Ford truck costs forty three thousand for the cheap one. So there's something really really wrong with the fact that pasteurized milk has become so cheap to the farmer. It's not because of efficiency; it's because nobody wants it. And you can see that there's dairy trends across the United States where uh, about 1% to 2% of the market is lost every year to pasteurized food milk. And it's going to soy milk, almond milk, anything but milk, raw milk, and so milk mm-hmm. because of the allergenicity, the digestibility, just problems with, you know, PETA and the people that are blaming all kinds of things on dairy, uh, dairy practices and inhumane practices in cows and stuff. It's just, it's just a community that's shrinking because um, they've lost their social uh, – a certificate, you know, they literally have. Uh, people are, are consuming less and less pasteurized dairy products and eating other products instead. The, the alternatives are taking over the dairy uh, case, literally. And in many of the stores we're in, we're taking over the dairy case because we're a real thing. We're, we're raw. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are getting smarter. And I asked that question because I, I know for me, when I first delved into just wanting to eat better, I always had to ask myself, how am I justifying the cost? And the way that I justified the cost was knowing that I was eating something that was what I would call clean and that was good for me. And I think a lot of times that that actually uh, thwarts people because they don't look at it. It's like you're going to pay somebody. You're going to pay the doctor or you're going to pay the person who is (laughs) supplying your food. So that's the way that I that I look at it. Um, Practical ideas on extending the shelf life of raw milk. I, I would imagine this is something that I've done for other things that you can freeze it. Can you freeze it? Yes. Uh, raw milk can be frozen very conveniently without a problem. And uh, many people do that, that can't go to the farm or, or, or rarely can get the raw milk. They'll take it and they'll freeze it in the refrigerator in plastic containers in the freezer and they'll, uh, they'll thaw it out. Yes, they, they can, you can do that. Yeah. What about sour milk? Because I, um, <laughs> I've had the, I won't say unlucky thing that I tend to sometimes get things and put them in the refrigerator and forget about them. Um, if my milk yep. sours, is there, is there anything I can do with it? You there? I'm here now. I'm sorry. I lost you there. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, what I would do, what I would do is, as your milk starts approaching its, um, it's a fresh date when it's no longer fresh. It's now starting to it turn into something like a kefir or the beginnings of a yogurt and starting to sour. What I always do is take that milk out of the refrigerator and add in a tablespoon of good yogurt that's got active bacteria in it and leave it out. Leave it out in a glass jar for 24 hours in a warm environment like 85, 90 degrees, 85 degrees, 70, 75 to 85 degrees. 
in your kitchen. And what you're going to end up with is a completely delicious, wonderful um, clabbered milk, or you could call it a kefir. And that milk, uh, you can make into a blended shake, um, put it in a blender with uh, bananas, uh, maybe some berries, some honey. And, oh, my God, it's really, really good. It's slightly tangy because the acid, the pH has dropped down to maybe 3.7 or so. And it's, it's pre-digested. It doesn't taste bad at all. It tastes very, very good. Um, and I particularly like it in a kind of a breakfast, breakfast smoothie with berries, bananas, and maybe some honey. Yeah, if yeah, I tell people out there, if you want something good, I I've tried the raw milk with uh, manuka honey, which is Ooh, kind yeah, of that's great. That is a great if you want a great milkshake, put some eggs in that and do the raw milk and the honey. It'll taste like nothing yes. you've ever tasted before. Uh, um, I wanted to make this it. last last distinction, um, Mark, because um, I think sometimes we get hung up on terms. One of the things I've seen in going to the grocery store here where I live is that they have organic milk. And you kind of alluded to this in a previous question, a question that I asked about organic raw milk. What's the difference between organic milk that we see in our grocery store and organic raw milk? And you may have answered this before, but I want people to kind of put their blinders on when they're going in the store and know that these are two totally different products. Well, there was something funny said of our products many years ago by a, uh, a consumer. It said, we're the only organic milk with the organic still in it. <laughs> um, you know, when, when you think of organics, you think of living food. You think of living earth, living soil, earthworms, bacteria, enzymes, activity. Organic means filled with life, you know. And unfortunately, when the USDA organic standards were created back in 2004, they didn't they didn't talk about the processing step. They just talked about the growing step. So the growing step, yeah, all organic milk kind of starts out the same kind of place, kind of, you know, all pasture-based, all farmers that's, you know, doing the things out in the pasture and sunshine. But as soon as that milk leaves the farm and goes to the pasteurization plant, it's still called organic, but now it's pasteurized organic. So the word organic does not reflect the end product and its life form its bacterial activity or its enzymes it talks about where it began when you talk out on the farm when you talk about organic pastures raw milk that's certified organic it started out organic and it ended up organic uh, the raw form means that that milk is alive the enzymes have not been changed the proteins are all intact and non-denatured the fats are from grass all that stuff never changed from the farm directly to the consumer's lips or their belly and that makes the distinction of being certified organic completely different than a raw organic product, which, which makes it very unusual. There's only a few dairies in the United States of America, I can name two or three, that actually have the distinction of being certified organic and raw at the same time. Most dairies that are certified organic sell their milk to be pasteurized under somebody else's brand, or they pasteurize it themselves and sell it as their own brand. But organic and raw, are they could be the same thing, or they could be different, depending on who you're, do, who you're talking to. Yeah. Um, and lastly, is there some type of resource if I'm in Florida or wherever I am, is there some type of resource where I might be able to go to to find out if there's raw milk in my area? Yeah, it's called realmilk.com, realmilk.com. And they have a listing of um, uh, uh, farmers across the United States that produce raw milk. There's also farm match, farmmatch.com, which um, – 
connects farmers to consumers and, and orients people about where they can find raw milk. Remember, uh, in California and those states that produce raw milk, it's uh, very strict standards. You know what you're getting. Be cautious in some places where you're going where you don't know what you're getting because if it's illegal, you really don't know what's going on because nobody's testing and nobody knows. So if the, um, if the milk doesn't last very long, if you only get three or four days of shelf life, odds are it's not being produced particularly well. So you want to make sure you know your farmer. I would also mention rawmilkinstitute.org. Rawmilkinstitute.org has a listing of 12 producers in North America that actually have raw milk available on their farm and it show their bacterial test numbers on the website. Um, they also have a complete comprehensive food safety program. So, they're, you know, raw milk's an emerging market. People are rejecting pasteurized milk and loving, and loving raw milk, but it's an emerging market with a lot of pressure on it when the processing industry hates raw milk because processors don't mm-hmm. get to process it. The farmers sell direct to consumers. The farmers win, they get more money. The consumers win, they get wonderful nutrition, and the children thrive just like they did when they're on their mom's breast milk. So uh, watch out for your farmer. Make sure you know who you're buying from. Yeah. And, Mark, real quick, uh, give us your website. I know uh, if people are interested and want to know more about, you know, what you're doing, what's your website? Organicpastures.com, organicpastures.com. And if you're ever in Fresno, California, or anywhere near California, you can always enjoy our products in 600 stores throughout the state. We're everywhere out here in California. And um, from Oregon border to Mexico, we're all over the place. You can't go 20 miles without seeing raw milk in a store here. We'd love people to come by and visit us at the dairy near Fresno, California. And we do a lot of tours. We totally embrace our consumers. We love them each and every one. And uh, it's very important that you connect to your consumers as a farmer. Yeah. Mark McAfee, thank you for being on tonight, man. I enjoyed it. Well, thank you for all the good questions, and I really appreciate you carrying the message of education. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good evening. Good night. You bet. All right. So that was a good show. And uh, we were supposed to have a show Monday, but we had to reschedule it. And I believe we're going to do that show on this coming Monday. I had to shuffle some shows around because one person couldn't make the show. We'll be talking a little bit more about essential oils. That's going to be a really good show. And then we have um, um, Mar. I want to say Marlike. I can't remember her her name right off off the hand. Marnie, maybe Marnie or Marnie Goodner. And she's going to be coming on talking about the thyroid, um, tenderly titled a thyroid survivor story, uh, which she had some thyroid issues and did her own research and imagine and really came out on the other side of her uh, hypothyroidism. So she'll be on on the 19th and then we'll keep the ball rolling. Um, We'll have the essential oils. And then at the end of the month, I don't know if I'm going to have this at the end of the month or uploaded at the very beginning of the month. We have Dr. Jonathan Wright on why stomach acid is good for you. But before that, we'll have uh, Pam Colleen talking about addiction and then we'll have Dr. Kayla T. Daniel back again to talk about broth, which is something that everybody needs to be on. And I'll be sharing some real cool stories about my shoulder. And she actually told me to do this for my shoulder and it ended up healing up my shoulder uh, really well. And I've kind of passed this on to some other people who have, you know, joint issues. So we'll be talking to her. And then that in October, Trying to get the schedule done for October right now, and just everything was thrown off because of the funeral, and I'm just getting back into town and kind of getting my bearings. So we'll see how October uh, pans out here, but stick with me. New website coming, new designs, all that. 
thank you for listening tonight. Peace and love, y'all. See you same time, same fat time, same fat channel next week. One love. I'm out.